and money is not about maths. It's not about austerity. It's about emotions, how I feel affects how I spend, which affects how I feel. Emotions are a key part of all of this. Welcome to the Stuff Up Podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. And I have my special guest today, money coach, Dennis Harhalakis. Thank you for coming on the Stuff Up Podcast, Dennis. Stephanie, you're absolutely welcome. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Yes. And what an important chat it is. Something we don't want to talk about a lot, but something we need to. <laughs> money? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is that all about? I looked through all your previous guests and not one of them was talking about money. They covered everything else. You covered anxiety, <laughs> you blow, but money. Why is that? That is a good question. <laughs> Ever heard of a money coach? I have heard of a money coach. Yes. But you know what? Not that often. Do you come across a lot of money coaches? Well, I do, but obviously that's kind of the area that I hang out in. <laughs> True. <laughs> but you'd think, wouldn't you, for the one thing that runs through everybody's life that we really need to get quite good at, we would have a money coach. But if you want to get better at tennis, what do you do? You want to you get a tennis coach, you want to get better at yoga, you get the yoga coach. You want to learn how to cook better. We don't call them a coach, but whatever. You know, you find somebody that's going to show you how. And you get better at it, right? Right. So there you go. But there's one thing that everybody has in their lives that's really important to get right. We don't talk about money coaches. So there we go. I'm waving the flag for money coaches and asking, why is that? And I'm over here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm over here. And a a lot of times we go to like life coaches or therapists and there are money issues and that's why we're going to them. So. But life coaches might not necessarily have the, well, they're not the specialists in money. They may be in like the mental health aspects or whatever, but that's why you're the specialist in the money. Well, I'm in the specialist in the emotional relationship with money. So I'm not a financial advisor, although I have worked in that area for a very long period of time, but I'm not in the financial advice space. So therapists and life coaches and everybody in that counselor space all have their own money issues. And that makes it very difficult to talk about other people's money issues when you have your own money issues. A lot of financial advisors are great with their own money, uh, with great with clients' money, awful with their own money. Debt advisors have debt. So the personal relationship that you have with money, which is my space, is different from advising other people about money and, and a professional relationship with money. Mm, that's so true. It's easier to tell people what they should do, but it's hard to do it ourselves. (laughs) Right, right. And part of that is because with other people's money, you don't have, you have psychological safety. It's just numbers. It's someone else's money. But when it's your money, it's got like dollar signs in front of it. And that means it's got value. And that value could be conflated with my own self-worth or my own value or whatever. So my own fears come into managing my own money my own fears don't come into managing other people's money or advising other people around money. I'm saying this generically as a money coach, which is why I don't really focus on financial advice. But I do spend a lot of time talking to people about their relationship with money and what that looks like and how they can get better at it or get better with it, how to understand it. Right. So that must be, you must find, I guess, our relationship and our, our emotional attachment 
to whatever we think about money starts in childhood and how we were raised? Sure, absolutely. Because we, all our beliefs about ourselves and our beliefs about how the world operates and beliefs about families, they all emerge out of our, our childhood uh, based on generally the behavior that people modeled around us and the messages they gave us, uh, usually indirectly. And that, so that's the interesting, one of the interesting things about money is that you can grow up in a, an environment where people go, oh, we don't talk about money. <laughs> but you know, that's still messaging. They're still modeling behaviors around that in their very negative. They're very bad for people in the long term to grow up in an environment where you feel that money can't be talked about. And so even if you shut down the discussion around certain topics, it doesn't mean that we don't have a relationship with it. We just have a bad relationship with it or confused relationship with it. And if you look back and go, okay, well, a hundred years ago, people didn't talk about sex. That didn't help people. It didn't help young girls. It didn't help everybody understand how, what appropriate behavior was simply by not talking about it. You end up with a couple of things, one of which is you end up with this vacuum. So if it's something we don't talk about these days, where are kids going to go and find information from? They're going to go to their friends and then they're going to go to the internet. Now, are those reliable sources of information? Do you want to educate your children about money and sex? Like by, <laughs> by not talking about it and letting them do all their own research. Nah, it doesn't really work, does it? So not so good. So we need to model positive behaviors around money. We need to model as parents anyway, positive behaviors, positive attitudes, positive engagement. And most of us find that's really, really hard because as you say, we're living with our own anxieties and our own subconscious inheritance that's driving the way we behave. So we don't understand our own money behavior. We definitely don't understand other people's behaviors. We have that conversation that goes, how could you do that? I mean, I have just, what were you thinking? I have no idea. Why would you do that? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Does that ring true? Oh, my word. Actually, I have a story about that. So when I got my first apartment, I was collecting, you know, in the 80s, we all collected these knickknacks. And you'd put them on the, well, not everybody, I guess, but I like these little pretty things. And when I go traveling, I like to collect things and you put them up and, you know, they're cute to look at and everyone kind of, a lot of us did it. But now where we're, we're simplifying things, we don't want so much stuff. It can get annoying because you're like, now I have to dust it. Now I have to put it somewhere. And when I was collecting some of these things, I know I had a family member who's like, what do you need that for? That's just an extra thing that collects dust. And I was like, but I like. It. And so she didn't understand why I was collecting them. And I didn't understand why she was angry at me for doing it. But I was just trying to decorate it my way. And I like the little pretty things. Mm. Now I'm, I'm different now where I also see like, I don't want all these different things. I want to simplify. So I get it. But at the same time, I felt really judged by how I was sure. decorating my own place. <laughs> sure that you're absolutely right. There's a lot of judgment in that. So you married Kondo, the whole thing. You went, ah, okay, I'm going to go Zen. I mean, you know, is this giving me joy in my life? Right. No, I got to dust the little buggers all the time. I guess. So, yeah, your relationship with objects in your life evolves over time and you mature and you, you learn to apply different reasoning or possibly more conscious re- reasoning to, to things, to people in your life, to relationships in your life, to your job and to your, to your money. But so much of it, stems from stems from that childhood and i think 
even the lowest substrate is how is your brain wired? You know, what does it exist to do? So one of the ways I like to start a conversation around money is why, why is it so difficult? You know, why is it so hard? Why is that the case? Because it's important to understand that. And I started writing this down a while back and I saw you know, I got a couple of reasons and I've got like 15, 20 reasons and I'm, about, I'm going to share <laughs> them with you. Awesome. Because I think it's really important to set the tone of any discussion around money or, and our relationship with money is, well, let's just look at why we have these issues. So the first thing is our brains are just not wired for money. And that's not just because money hasn't been around for four or 5,000 years. Our brains as mammals are wired for short-term gratification and immediate response mm. to danger. That's the sort of thing that keeps a species alive. Immediate response to danger. Is it a snake? Is it a hose? Doesn't matter. Just get out of the way. That keeps you alive. Now. And so that's how our brains are set up. And if there's something I want, the best time to have it is now, right? If there's something I really, really want, why would I want to have it like next month or next year? So immediate gratification is important, or at least that's how we were wired. Our brains evolved and immediate response to danger. The danger thing is quite powerful. So our brains are also wired to push discomfort into the future wherever possible. So if there's something that makes you feel bad or then you try and block it out, if it makes you feel really bad, you run away from it. And that could be a physical thing or an emotional thing, but you run away from it because that's how you keep yourself safe. And staying safe and hiding or staying away from danger is a really critical part of survival. You don't walk towards danger in, in general. That's not great for a species survival and discomfort. So when are we going to start that training program? When am I going to sort my finances out? When am I going to get on that diet? When's the best time to do that? Now. Tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I know the answer is now, but I know that we all say tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow is the best time to do that because right now I'm a little tired and I don't have my, I don't have all of my spreadsheets lined up and I don't have the right colored highlighter pens. And you remember when you were like trying to revise as a kid, you're like, it's really important. I got to get the right crayons and the highlighter pens and all of these things. And I got to get my when I was my pencil case and all of that stuff's really important. And I need to have that before I can start yeah. revising. Oh yeah. So this is a core, this is how our brains are wired. This is this is how this is what we have to deal with. So we used to live in an environment of danger and uncertainty, and you needed to react immediately to danger. The lion in front of you is the one that you need to worry about. We don't worry about the lion that's next week's lion or the the week after that or even the month after that because if you don't get away from the lion that's in front of you, you're not going to see next week. So staying alive means staying alive right now, right in this moment in time, and that's why we're just not wired for long-term thinking and long-term planning. We're wired to stay alive and feel good right now in this moment, not we're not wired to do these long, complex things because that's not a core survival need. A core survival need is staying alive in the moment right now. And, and that's why it's difficult. That's why it has to be learned. It's like delayed gratification. If you, if you watch videos on kids with marshmallows and you say, don't eat that now, right? That's yeah. delayed gratification. That's really, really hard. It's a taught skill. It's not innate in, innate in us. It's not natural to do that. You have to teach it and you have to teach it and you have to model it if you're a parent. So modeling things like long-term thinking, delayed gratification, all those things are, 
our learned behaviors because our long-term survival now, or even our survival, however you want to look at it, is depending on making good decisions that make the future easier, not more difficult, which essentially is clashing with all our evolutionary wiring, which is discomfort, get rid of it, <laughs> and, uh, and gratification, let's have it now, and whoa, let's get the hell out of here because that looks really, it feels really, really dangerous and really bad. So that's what's going on at the core of our behavior. And finance itself, I think, has got really complex in the last 70, 50, 70 years. Credit cards came in in the late 1950s, 1960s, right? So cash has practically disappeared. I don't get any bills anymore. There's just direct debits that go out of my account. I just get an email saying, you know, this is gone. Um, We have debit cards, credit cards, store value cards, store cards. We have in this country, Klarna, and we have different types of pension schemes, and we have savings schemes, and we have, in the US, you have the 401s and the 101s and the whatever else it is. This is really complex stuff, right, for a brain that's wired for fight or flight. Mm. (laughs) So when you learn to drive, I don't think driving's got any more complex in the last 40 years. You learn to drive, and off you go. There's more cars, but in some ways, it's probably got easier, and cars have got better. But managing your finances has got much harder over time. And it's not getting any easier. So that's another thing that, that makes this stuff complex. And it makes us anxious. It breeds anxiety. And when this complexity kicks in, when you're anxious, it's really hard to think. Your brain freezes. Your brain freezes. We as, as mammals and, and humans and however you want to look at it, primates, we make really bad decisions with this. When we are hungry, angry, anxious, lonely, or tired, halt, hungry, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And anxiety is a key part of that. So trying to manage your finances when you're anxious is really, really hard. Really, really hard. And the two biggest stresses for us are uncertainty, the feeling of uncertainty, and the feeling of lack of control. And I think that pretty much applies to everybody around their finances, this feeling of lack of control. And so it's hard, right? All this stuff kicks in. Mm-hmm. And as, as you talked about before, we don't start with a blank slate. We have this subconscious inheritance that influences us and drives, drives our behavior. And we have self-limiting beliefs about ourselves, and about money, about how the world works. And they just sit and they drive our behaviors in ways that we don't really understand. I don't, why did I do that? I keep doing that. Why is it I can't say? Why was it I can't do this? Why? So we have this stuff that, that goes on. And people that do talk about money, they go, well, you know, it's got numbers, numbers in it, right? So we're going to, we're going (laughs) to. Maths. Maths, right? It's a numeric discussion, right? It's wants and needs. It's money in and money out. What don't you understand? It's like saying, oh, well, everything about weight is calories in and calories out. No, wrong. We know that. And money is not about maths. It's not about austerity. It's about emotions, how I feel affects how I spend, which affects how I feel. Emotions are a key part of all of this. So um, emotions are in there, but society teaches us that expressing emotions is unsafe, can be unsafe, right? The word emotional has negative connotations to it. Yeah. So we... We understand what physical pain means. If your leg hurts or your arm hurts or your head hurts, you go, right, I better do something about that. You know, and maybe I'll take a painkiller or drink some more water, or maybe if my leg hurts, I'll go to the doctor or stop running on it or, you know, do something, right? So 
we understand the message from our body around physical pain. And a lot of us ignore it. But anyway, we do, we're kind of much more in tune with it. But the message of discomfort, the messages from emotional pain are telling you this is something you need to deal with. And yet we don't. We're like, ah, uh, you know, we're told, ah, uh, you know, it'll pass or man up or focus on the goal or, you know, just push on through or whatever it is. But if I have fear or shame or guilt or anxiety around my finances, that doesn't fix itself. Right? I can't medicate my way to healthy finances. Drinking more <laughs> isn't going to fix that. I need to understand where I'm not whole, where I'm not free in this area. And, and there's a lot of pain and shame around finances. And so ignoring that doesn't make it better. Right. That's really helpful to talk about the emotional aspect because, you know, when you spend money and then people say, stop spending money because you're going into debt and then you don't know why you're like, but it makes me feel better to buy things. Mm. And until you actually get to that point where you first of all, realize it, and then you can get help in why do I need this? Why is this feeling coming? Why do I keep doing this and buying this? Yeah. Just telling you to stop spending is not getting to the root of the problem. And that's what we've always done. Sure. And then that's where you come in, where you help people. Okay, this is deeper than just you're spending money. Right. This is not, this is not a mathematical <laughs> issue that we, that we have here. What is the need? What is, so we spend money to make ourselves feel better, either because we enjoy the dopamine hit we get from spending or because we're not feeling great. So if you're on Amazon at three o'clock in the morning shopping, you're not making good decisions. You're looking for reasons for something that's going to make you feel better about yourself. And that comes back to halt, which is I'm probably not making a good decision right now. I will feel better right now because I'm looking at that and I'm going, oh, I'm going to look really great in that. I'm going to feel fantastic. And so that kind of that whole concept about how much better I'm going to be as a person and much more attractive or whatever it is, is overwhelming my brain. And it's flooded with dopamine and it's going, yeah, fine. And then someone goes, well, you don't have any money, but never mind, we'll lend you the money to do it. So this teasing this process out apart is really important. But it, and it starts with, why am I feeling this way? So you have a guy in, um, in Vancouver called Gabor Mate. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. He's an amazing, amazing individual. He's, uh, has, and he's worked with addicts and trauma victims for most of his life. He's actually Hungarian. And he asks a really simple, makes a really simple point. So when you look at addiction, the question to ask is not why the addiction. The question to ask is what is the pain? Mm. Don't focus on the addiction. The addiction makes perfect sense to the individual if you know their pain. So we have this concept of, oh, just separate wants and needs. No, they're all needs. They're all needs in the moment. So let's look at what is driving that need. And then when you understand that need, you can go, well, maybe there's healthier ways I can do that. If this is my need right now, maybe if you take the analogy, you come home from work and you're feeling tired and stressed. And you want to feel better in that moment. There's discomfort in that moment. There's a number of things you can do. You could have a beer. You could have a pizza. You could go for a walk. You could meditate. You could do some breathing exercises. There's a whole set of different things you could do to manage your discomfort in that moment. And the chances of you having optimized that are pretty low. You're just going to follow through with whichever one made you feel better a while back. And you're going to do that. 
So bringing consciousness to that process and going, okay, well, actually, yeah, I feel tired and I feel a little bit low, exhausted, right, from an energy perspective. What would be good for me now, right now? What choice can I make that is taking me towards the person I want to be, not away from the person I want to be? And I have no judgment around any of this, right? If you want to have a pizza and a spliff, fine. Just make sure that that's a conscious decision that you're making as opposed to the thing that you do every single time you come home because that's what you do every single time you come home. So part of my process is to help people have conscious, positive engagement with their finances as opposed to subconscious negative engagement or lack of engagement with their finances, which is kind of how we operate Um, most of the time when we don't understand something, we don't think about it. And our education process teaches us that if we don't understand something, there must be something wrong with us. I'm doing something wrong. I don't know what it is. It must be me. So my clients have come from a space of going, how do I do this to why can't I do this to what's wrong with me? Why is this so hard? And as kids, we grew up and people would tell us, sometimes teachers, usually parents, they go, what's the matter with you? Why don't you understand this? What's wrong with you? Why did you do that? What's wrong with you? How can you think that? What's wrong with you? And so you internalize this, like I've done something wrong or I don't know what it is. There must be something wrong with me. Yeah. Now, the problem with that, other than the obvious problems that is deeply unfair and deeply negative, is that when you think there's something wrong with you, it's really hard to go to someone and go, I think I need to get this fixed. Because if you think there's something wrong with you, you don't do that. You go, oh, that's I'm guilt and shame. and I'm, I'm not going to talk about this stuff because that is going to make me feel bad. And my brain is saying, if you're going to feel bad about this, stay away from it. Just medicate yourself or just don't go near it or don't open that bill or don't talk about it or just, just leave it alone. And, you know, the cortisol will pass and, and, and you'll be fine. And so when you look at that and you go and you combine that with this culture of silence we have around money, we have this thing that we don't understand that makes us feel really bad about ourselves. And yet we're not supposed to talk about it. So that's the world we live in. Money's tied into self-worth. It's a core survival needs, which because it can buy food, sex, shelter, all the things that we need. So it's tied into our reactive systems and we don't talk about it. And no one shows us how to manage it. It's wired to our emotions, our self-worth. And when we make mistakes, we feel bad about ourselves. And so this is the starting point because this blocks us. And everyone I talked about this has to understand that it's not their fault, right? If you don't understand something that no one showed you how to do, and it's so tied into our self-worth and everything, then it's no surprise it isn't going to go particularly well. That's really helpful because, you know, we're, we're like, yeah, we have responsibility with our lives and with what we do and all that. And we hear that all the time. And while that's true, sometimes it can feel like a shaming where, yeah, if I'm, I make mistakes, first of all. And second, if I'm dealing with all of this emotional stuff and well, I'm responsible, you got yourself into debt, you're doing this, you're doing that. And then I feel like I'm responsible, I'm bad, Yeah, but it doesn't really help me. So to know that, yeah, we're responsible for what we do, but also it's okay because you're just trying to do the best with what you, you have because you're, you're struggling and you need healing. Yeah. And so like, it's okay. Right. I think it's messy. Yeah. Messy. (laughs) That's a good term. It's messy. It's okay. Now it doesn't, 
get you off the hook, right? You have to live. If you've been making choices that have been making your life more difficult, if you have debt, if you have savings, if you're living in, in a precarious financial situation, you have to live with that. So I'm not going to add to that by chucking shame and guilt on top of you. What I'm saying to you is that you didn't make, though you didn't consciously choose to be that person. You didn't consciously choose to have that financial situation. You didn't consciously choose to be guilty, ashamed, jealous, of anxiety, any of that. And so my core message around this, and the reason I start with this piece is because you need to start with self-compassion. You need to, any change process has to start with self-compassion because then it gives you agency. If you don't start with self-compassion, if you start by thinking there's something wrong with you, then when you try and change, you're going to make mistakes. We all do, right? It's not a linear process. And you're going to blame yourself. You're going to go, I knew it was wrong. I knew I knew I couldn't do this. My my mother was no good with my with money. My father was no good. Whatever it was, I'm no good. You know, I'm just broken around this. I just can't do it, right? And that's going to block you. So start with self-compassion. There's nothing wrong with you. No one showed you how to do it. It's complex. Your brain's not wired for it. And we are surrounded. We are bombarded with messages about buy this, drive this, wear this, you'll be happy, you'll be this, you'll be that, you'll be other. And Stephanie, the thing that really, really upsets me about all of this is not just this constant uh, bombardment about spending money that you don't have to buy stuff you don't need. It's that the subtext, the message is that without this, if you don't buy this, wear this or drive this, you're not good enough in yourself. That's what that messaging is all about. You're not good enough. And you combine that with coming out of all childhoods with, we all have sensitivities around not being good enough or not being enough or, or never enough. And we create this space that's really hard to think positively and engage positively about our finances. And so it's really, really hard to believe you can make good choices if you blame yourself for everything that you've done so far in your life without understanding what it was that got you there in the first place. Mm, Yeah. With all the talk about social media, especially Instagram is like a huge one where we're seeing these these influencers. They're like, look at my 12 Jaguars and my, Mm. you know, my billion dollar home. And then we're, we're just like, oh, but it, it's really, yeah, I look at that. I'm like, wow, that'd be nice. But then I'm thinking some of these, when you actually peel back the layers of how these people live, they're so stuck in this is my identity that I actually feel sorry for people who are also in that mindset where I'm, look at all I have and I have to show everybody what I have. And it's just like, wow, sure. yeah, I'm kind of jealous, but then I'm not jealous because I don't want to have my identity and all these things. Yeah. I think that would be a, a hard way to live as well. And that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I was much younger, I used to think, oh, great. It'd be just to be a model and you just stand there. And, <laughs> and now I realize that it must be the most, not terrible isn't quite the right word, but it must be really hard to live in a world where you're constantly judged by your looks, which are going to change over time. And people are going to tell you you're too thin or you're too fat, you're too this, you're too that. And you're always living on the edge of somebody else's judgment about your self-worth. Yeah. And if you can't control that, which you can't if you're modeling, for example, or, or whatever, 
then I think it's a really, really unsafe space to live in. And you're absolutely right to make that connection between my self-worth and my net worth. And I'm only as good as the things I own. And most of these people don't own this stuff anyway. They rent it for the photo shoot. So (laughs) it's not even real. Yeah. Right. How much value have you created in the world? How much happiness have you given the world? You know, what is this? What is all this? And so when it comes to the money piece, I think it's really important that we give people, everybody gives themselves a break because you did mention this, you know, our culture likes to tell us that we have agency, that we have control, that we have responsibility. Because, And this is all wrapped up with our moral codes and religions. And it means we can punish people. We can go, you did this, and therefore we can punish you, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not against the penal system. I think that we need to understand a lot more about the choices that people that are born in really deprived areas have in their lives about whether they choose to live within the law or outside the law. I think that's important. But in the money space, all this, this concept of responsibility and you made choices, this gives us guilt and shame about things that we think and things that we do and things that we did, but they're not the result of conscious cognitive processes. They're not deliberate choices that we made. They were just things that we did to make ourselves feel better or because we thought it was a good idea at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that have to start with that. If you're going to change uh, your relationship, if you want to change yourself, you have to feel positive about your ability to make that change and not feel like you can't. And it's the same whether you want to take up exercise. Right. You've got to feel positive about it and about yourself, not like, oh, no, I'm just incapable of doing that. That never, it's never going to work. Actually, I had a question about that. So, you know, when you're in so much debt, or even talking about our governments are in debt, right? And people will still vote for the people that get us into further debt. And I've had this discussion with people where we're like, but we need to get out of debt. And they're like, well, we're already in debt. What's more debt? How We're never going to get out of it. Do you find that that, that, do you speak with a lot of people who also kind of have that, they feel so much like it's it's a huge mountain burden. I'm never going to get out of this. I just keep adding to the debt. And what does it matter? Yeah, you get trapped in this concept of I have no control, I have no agency, I have no capacity to change this. Yeah. And that comes into the slight areas of you just essentially, and when you do that, you give away your power. So there are four core positive behaviors that drive wealth creation or just, you know, the ability to manage your finances. And one of them is taking responsibility or your outcomes. Because if you don't, if you blame the world, the system, the government, you know, whoever it is, and it's really easy to do that, right? The government, the things that you cannot control, I can't do this. So it's really easy to blame them. And the minute you start blaming outside factors, you lose your power and control to turn things around and also the motivation to do so. And I fully understand why you might feel that way. And part of that is also about the discomfort of facing up to the decisions that you've made and the things that you need to do. And that's hard for people to do. It's hard for people to feel that they have to take ownership and they need to take ownership. But if you believe that external factors have more power and influence over your own choices, that's a recipe for stress and losing sleep. So everybody has the capacity to change if they believe that they do so. 
And if they are supported on their journey and they're given coaching, leadership, counseling, whatever it is that you want to, to help you through that process, because it's not easy. So I, um, the way I look at our relationship with money is that it has three components. The first one is how I feel about myself. The second one is how I feel about money. And the third one is how I feel about money and myself. And most of the time, people forget about how I feel about myself. But it's the same about food. It's the same about work. It's the same about exercise. So how I feel about myself. Am I the kind of person that can exercise or in a relationship? Am I the kind of person that stands up for themselves? Or am I the kind of person that's going to take anything that the other person gives me? What is my self-worth? How do I feel about myself? Do I deserve better? Do I deserve more? Or am I just not good enough, not worthy enough for a better person, someone that treats me fairly, somebody that respects me, somebody that listens to me? So when you put this into the money context, people who are good with their finances Mm. feel good about themselves. So I feel good about myself. I am competent. I have confidence in my knowledge and decision-making processes. I take ownership of my outcomes, my self-worth does not depend on my net worth or my possessions because I feel good enough. I am enough in myself and who I am. Now, if I feel good about money, that means that money is a new, neutral. It's a tool to achieve well-being. It's not the work of the devil, the root of all evil, something we don't talk about. It's not this unknown thing, this confusing thing that, that I don't understand. And when I feel good about money and myself, then money and thinking about money doesn't make me anxious or ashamed or guilty or jealous. I'm comfortable engaging with the financial system. And at an identity level, because it all comes down to identity in the end, I am the kind of person who manages their finances while I am the kind of person that believes that about myself. And so that's our relationship with money. And, it, and that's why it's not just about maths, it's not just about numbers. The root of all of those things are beliefs that we have about ourselves. And beliefs are uh, stories that we tell ourselves. They're based on emotions. They're based on messaging that we got growing up about money, about ourselves, ourselves and money. Mm. And because they're beliefs and because they're stories, they can be changed. Because if they're not working for you, you need to change the story in order to have a different outcome. And you can do that. If your stories are not working for you, if they're undermining you, then change them. I say that as if it was straightforward. It's not, obviously. But (laughs) what I'm saying is they can be changed. In other words, it's not cast in stone. You don't have to be this person that's that's scared of finances. You don't have to be this person that feels um, overwhelmed every time there's a bill. You don't have to be that way. It's going to take some work, and it's going to take some work on yourself as well. Um, And that's why we start with self-compassion and forgiveness. That's what we all need to hear. Is because sometimes I think, yeah, we either are told like blame the government and then it's all on them or the outside circumstances. And also, well, you need to do better. But when you say have self-compassion and understand we can change it, but it takes time where I think we lose. We don't hear that enough, maybe because we think, oh, I should change it. I need to change it. But it's not going to happen overnight. It's a matter of rewiring our brain to think differently yeah. about these things about ourselves mainly about ourselves and money and you need a coach you need a guide you need someone to help you with that and i'm not saying that because i'm a coach i'm just saying that because it's a lot easier to do it if there's somebody that can hold a safe space for you to go 
listen, I don't understand this. Can you help me? Yeah. And they're vulnerable in that space. We're all vulnerable in that space when we go to someone and say, can you help me? And I'm, I feel really ashamed. I've, I've got this problem. I've got this debt. I've got that. And it's not just always about debt. I and mean, there are plenty of people who have, they call it the worried wealthy, who have no capacity to spend. They cannot enjoy their money. They're trapped in fear and anxiety around running out of money. So they have a, a scarcity mentality, an inadequacy mentality. And it's just, so it's not, it's primarily, I think, the problem we have faces is debt related because when you make spending frictionless, when you make access to credit frictionless, you generate really bad behaviors. You gen anything that speeds the world, speeds the decision making process up, tends to result in suboptimal decision making and suboptimal behavior. And then when you feel you can't control that, you're like, oh, no, I can't do this. But you do have capacity to have control, you do have capacity mm-hmm. to develop agency in it. And you need to have someone that's going to help you on that process in the same way that if you wanted to give up alcohol or any kind of addiction and take more control over your life, you can do it. And it starts with self-compassion and forgiveness. The belief comes later. You reprogram, you rewrite the stories about who you are and you move from someone who's scared about their finances, who's not confident in their ability, who can't save money to someone who manages their finances at the identity level. Yes, I am. And yes, I will be. And it's going to take a bit of time and I've got to pay down some debt and I've got to, and I'm not trying to, to make light of economic hardship because there's a huge amount of it. And a lot of people just don't have the choices. It's not like, Oh, or no, I have enough money to save. I just squander it all. No, a lot of people are trapped. They don't have any money to eat, never mind money to save. So I'm not trying to, to say that this is all you need to do is change your self beliefs and, and money will appear. What I'm saying is that that for those people that are challenged and find it difficult to understand why they do things around money, how to manage money, how to understand money, then you need to start with forgiving yourself because no one showed you how and going, okay, how do I change that? How do I move forward? How do I write a different story? How do I learn to make decisions that are going to make the future easier for myself, not more difficult for myself? What does that process look like? I'm glad you mentioned that actually, because that was one thing I wanted to ask you, because you hear different, like Dave Ramsey talks about this, whenever you get a paycheck, put money away to save. But when people are literally living paycheck to paycheck, and they're just getting, just paying their bills, just making their rent, just how do you handle that kind of thing? Like, is that something that you also, when you talk to people and they have these kind of questions, like, how do I get ahead when I'm, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Sure. That's really hard. And, and I think there is no, that's, obviously there's no magic one. There's no, no easy answer to it. And I guess that it comes back to what I was trying to say earlier is if you are permanently on the line, there's not much you can do about it other than look at ways to potentially generate a little bit more cash flow and build yourself up a little bit of a buffer. And that's really important because and I forget investing in the stock market, whatever it is. If you don't have a buffer, and I and I don't know what the numbers are in the US, in this country, UK, there's 18 million people that have less like than $200 saved. Mm. What that means is that you are just one small problem away from debt or small problem away from expensive debt. You're always living on the edge. And the thing with unexpected expenses is they're never unexpected. You just don't know what it's going to be. Is it the car? Is it the 
the TV that needs repairing or is it the washing machine? What is it? You know, there's always going to be something, particularly if you're never able to buy anything new, you know that there's always some point which it's going to break. And when you live in that permanent state of anxiety, because you're right on the edge, it's a really, really hard space for you mentally and physically. And so any way to try and build in a little bit of a buffer, a little bit of money that says, okay, well, you know, I know at some point in the next 12 months, something's going to go wrong and I'm going to need to have $500 or whatever that number is to save. Keep that, don't touch it. And that's going to give you a little bit of comfort. It's going to reduce your stress. And if you, if you've worked out a process to do that, then you can start to build, you build from there. The biggest problem for kind of making one of the biggest problems for making good decisions is that when you live in a state of anxiety, your body's, your brain's flooded with cortisol and you can't make good decisions. Cortisol is a really, really powerful drug that is, that was there to get you away from danger really fast. It's a massive energy boost. Now this trips us up all the time. So do you remember that? Do you know that thing where you're like, where's my car keys or where's my phone or whatever else it is? You know, what does that feel like? Panic. Panic, right? And then somebody says to you, Stephanie, uh, where did you last leave them? <laughs> right? I don't know. <laughs> and you go, I don't know. If I knew that, yeah, I wouldn't be looking for them. So <laughs> what does that feel like? Do you feel like really pleased that they're helping you? Or how do you feel? Uh, that's a good question. I always am expecting that question because we all ask it. Right. But you just feel like, Seriously, that's not helpful because, that. yeah, if I knew that would be where I would go to look for it. Of course. Right. So there's two things going on right now in your head. One, so it's basically you're like, this is a panic moment. Your brain, it's only the car keys or the phone, but your brain is, is thinking, oh my God, I'm in, I'm in real danger here. Floods your brain with cortisol or floods your body with cortisol, I should say. And cortisol does this thing called cognitive narrowing. So if you're running away from great danger, Stephanie, how much effort should you put into it? Like everything you've got. Right, exactly. You're not going, oh, that's really nice that there's a, <laughs> there's a coconut over there. I need to pick that up. I love what Mitch has done with his hair. Yeah, no. So your brain shuts down your vision and your auditory range because the only thing you need to do is get away from danger really, really fast. And one last question. Do you think this should be a conscious process or an automatic process? Automatic. Absolutely. So... We have uh, evolved over time, and most animals have this, this automatic, really powerful response to danger, which is narrows your ability to think, narrows your ability to see, hear everything, and floods your body with a whole set of, of chemicals that prime it to expend a large amount of energy running away from something that's got more hair, more teeth, and more legs than you have. And that's really important. However, it's not appropriate for that to kick in when you open a credit card bill <laughs> or when you're trying to find your car keys. That's not what you really need right now. What you need when you're looking for your car keys is calm and open-mindedness. And when you've got a head full of cortisol, to, first of all, you can't think properly. You can't see properly. You can't hear properly. And guess what else it interrupts? It interrupts your ability to be polite and kind because that also requires a, a huge amount of energy. You don't need to be polite and kind when you're running away from a line. So these little things, these super powerful response mechanisms that we have when we live in anxiety, when anxiety triggers us, 
makes it really, really, you make really fight, flight and freeze are not great ways to handle your finances, your relationships or anything else. And so we have this thing, this response mechanism that kicks in. And when you, when you learn to manage that and we learn to understand that, you can then go, ah, right, yes. Normally this would trip me up, but I can see it coming. I'm going to take, I'm going to create a little bit of space between stimulus and response. And I'm going to choose a different path forward as opposed to shouting and screaming or running away, which is what my body wants me to do right now. And when you apply that, when you learn to do that with your finances, you're able to go, okay, this is really scary for me, but I know I need to engage with my discomfort. What it's telling me is I need to sort this stuff out. Like my leg hurts, I need to sort it out. Emotionally, this is difficult for me, but I need to sort it out because when I sort it out, I can be free of the anxiety. I can be free of the shame. I can be free of the guilt, but I need to engage with it. And then, then over time, it releases its, its hold on me. It releases its potency. It's not so scary anymore. And I can go, oh, yeah, I used to have real problem opening my bills, but now I'm not scared. Now I've learned how to engage with that. Mm. Bit of a long answer to kind of how do you survive living paycheck to paycheck. But, but part of it, what I was trying to, to work through was to create a buffer zone so that you don't have to live in anxiety and cortisol-fueled uh, tension all the time because it's really bad for your ability to make good decisions. It's really, really toxic to your body. Yeah. And that's, I think, where most men, I don't know the percentage, but I think a lot of people are right now. Yeah. And why we're so, I mean, we're all anxious about things and stressed. And that's why you see more people being rude at the store because we're just, and I, I get it because we're all stressed and work is adding more stress. And then you're. Yeah. We're angry. And, ugh, and then COVID, I mean, that <laughs> adding it more and more to everybody. And when you're stressed, a lot of things are perceived as threats. And when something is perceived as a threat, you get the threat response. Yeah. It's really hard to be non-judgmental. It's really hard just to be open. It's really difficult when you feel threatened all the time. Okay. So what are some positive money behaviors that we can start, start working towards? Yeah. So when I was starting out in, and one of the things that put me into money coaching was, and I, and I spent a lot of time uh, working in financial institutions and wealth management and banks. It's like a lot of the people I work with, they're just like really bad with their money. You know, they had, <laughs> And they're going, well, really? Yeah, you work in a bank. Yeah, but because I work in a bank doesn't make me any better with my money than, than anybody else. Also, it doesn't make you rich. I worked in a bank for 14 years and I would get people saying, oh, you're rich. And I'm like, I'm not the CEO. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Yeah, we're not getting paid that much. It's not, you know. We're anyways. not, no. There's a guy who did research on this, this topic. And he the simple question was, why is it? that you can give two people the same salary or whatever that salary is. And one of them can save 20% of it. And the other one not only doesn't save any of it, they're always, always in debt. So why is that? What is it about some people they can do that? And this guy went and he interviewed 500 or so millionaires in the US. And he went through all the, the history and the different bits of pieces. These are people that built up their money over their lifetime. You know, the kind of scruffy guy with the these are the people that saved a million dollars, not spend a million dollars. So they don't have the flash car. They don't have any of this. So they all have four things in common. <laughs> and 
I like to think of them as positive financial behaviors. And so these, this is at the kind of at the core of, um, of you, of understanding your relationship with money. I'll tap into that in a minute. So fr- the first one is frugality, which is a horrible word, which is basically the relationship between your income and your spending. And in simple terms, this means don't spend all your money. Uh, you need to save. You, you can't uh, build wealth. You can't get anywhere without saving a bit of money. And I know this is difficult. We've talked about it. But financial security, building financial security requires a level of saving. And in some ways, saving, unless you're really struck, is the hard part. The hard part is finding the money to <laughs> save. So a lot of that can be achieved through understanding your finances better. So part of what I do when I do financial literacy courses is, is show people how to go through their finances, not ignore them and go, okay, you've got Netflix, you've got Amazon, you've got this, you've got that, you've got that. Do you need all of that? I mean, if you do, great. You know, But if you're looking for ways to save, you need to engage with what you're spending, understand your spending, and then look for places to make savings. Am I on the emergency utility rate? Are there better deals I could get? for my water or my electricity or my gas or whatever else it is. So you can't do that if you're ignoring your finances. So frugality is don't spend all you earn, save some money. The second one that all these people had were was confidence. So that's the ability, the skills to build and maintain wealth. This is financial literacy. This is budgeting. This is planning. This is not being ripped off by credit card companies or financial services firms or any of those people. It's educating yourself around that. Planning is a key driver of financial well-being. People who think more than 10 years ahead, they have significantly more income saved. And no one teaches you this. This is, as, as we talked about at the beginning, my plan is how to get away from that line in front of me right now. 10 years doesn't really matter. And so this is a skill. This is somebody has to teach you this. And they don't teach you this at school. So if you haven't picked this up from your parents or the people around you, you have to teach yourself and blame yourself if you can't do it because it's not easy. The third one we touched on was responsibility, taking ownership and responsibility for your financial outcomes. And that's really important. No one else is going to care more about your money than you do. You need to. You need to take ownership of it. You need to engage with it, however uncomfortable it makes you feel. Mm. And the fourth one, and this is the one that is really so much more prevalent now is called social indifference. And this is the ability not to be influenced by the spending behaviors, material possessions of others, trends in consumer goods and services, and this endless messages to buy this where they drive that. And we, we touched on that a little bit earlier. And so as hierarchical social mammals, we most people tend to compare up. And the more you compare up, the more stress you have, the less your satisfaction, the lower your savings, higher your spending. And the contradiction at the heart of this, all this messaging, this consumerism, that it's not any of the things that we already own that will make us happy. No, but it will be the very next thing we buy. This is going to tip us into a profound state of bliss. Yeah. (laughs) Step back and look at how fundamentally flawed this is and take control. That's social indifference for you. These are the four positive behaviors that help. And you kind of need all four of them. Mm. <laughs> you can't work with only three. And I'm not being judgmental around spending. Spending's fine. I have no issue with that at all, as long as you can afford it, and as long as it's not impacting your future, and as long as it's conscious decision-making 
that's driving that process as opposed to FOMO or whatever. Because you can't fix on the outside what the hole that's on, on the inside. And so when you look at all those four things, they all have a strong emotional component. It's hard to budget if thinking about money makes you feel anxious. Social indifference is massively challenging if you have low self-esteem. So all of these behaviors and patterns around money have, a, have an emotional component. And that's why we come back to our relationship with money, which is based on emotions. So developing positive financial behaviors starts with understanding your patterns and behaviors. And that's what a money coach does, helps you understand where that comes from. Wow. And how you can change that. Wow, Dennis, this is amazing. This is one of the great things about doing podcasts is just even the chats that I have with people. I learn so much. And then when other people listen and then they get to learn so much, it's really exciting, right, to mm. to do this. And I really appreciate your wisdom and, and the ways that you help people. This is just, yeah, way more than just money. Obviously, there's so much more going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not numbers. There's no numbers. There's no numbers. Have I talked about numbers? I haven't. And it's a joy to be able to share this with you. And I love the fact yeah. that technology exists to bring us together. You're in London, in Canada, and I'm in Cambridge in the UK. And um, this is going to go to all your wonderful listeners. So it's fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to add? So I've covered a lot of stuff, but I think if I had to sort of boil it down to two or three key things, understand how your relationship with money works. I've talked a lot about this. What are my beliefs? Where did they come from? Are they true? Are they really what I think or something I've inherited? And are they helping me or are they blocking me? Mm. Chances are they're blocking you. And so you can release yourself from those. You didn't choose them, but you've got to look at them and you've got to decide whether they're good for you or not. Then look at the links between your beliefs and the positive financial behaviors that we've just talked about. Are they are they supporting the positive financial behaviors or are they not? You know, this belief that I, you know, I can't change the world, I can't do anything. You know, that's, that's part of responsibility. You need to change that if you want to change anything. And then look for these areas to improve and engage with the discomfort. That will come. It will come. Mm -hmm. But if you look at anyone that progresses in anything, whether they are a sportsman or whatever it is, they have to engage with physical pain and mental discomfort in order to get better at what they want to get at. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with yourself, becoming a better person, certainly around your finances. Awesome. Well, Dennis, how can people reach you and get in contact with you? So you can find me at uh, Cambridge Money Coaching. That's one word, cambridgemoneycoaching.uk. That's my website. That's my contact form. A lot of stuff that we've talked about today is on there. And just reach out. I offer a free money chat service to anyone that just wants to have a chat. They want to get interested in coaching. Fantastic. If not, just have a chat and go through some of the stuff that we talked about today. Please come and find me. And your website, there's a lot of information. You have some articles on there. You have different podcasts you've been on. Yeah. You have a lot of resources. I mean, you, you've got a great website for, for people reaching out and getting help. So yeah. Well, thank you so much. Dennis Harhalakis. Yes, ha ha Well done, Stephanie. <laughs> I think you're better with the Spanish names than the Greek names. Oh, takes okay. practice sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no problem at all. It's all right. Well, thank you, Dennis. This was so much fun and I learned a lot and we all learned a lot. Anyone who's listening is going to come away 
much better knowledge about themselves and about their situation. So I appreciate you and I thank you. I hope so. I really hope so. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure, Stephanie. Thank you. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Steph underscore Ann underscore web, Instagram, Stephanie underscore Ann underscore web, Facebook, Stephanie Ann web, and my website is stephanieannweb.com, where you can find my podcast episodes for the Steph Up podcast and check out my blog. And you can buy my children's book called What Should Dragon Do? A story about living together with other people, how to handle the little situations, and how to live together with kindness. I appreciate you all. You are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye.